Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 47 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This is part one of a two-part case. The next instalment will be available next week. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. This is the penultimate case of season six. It was a lovely morning. Only minutes and seconds ago, there was a laughing, joking, and then all of a sudden, within seconds, the life changed. I recall the police radio crackling into life, and it's quite obvious from the uh, transmissions over the air from my uniform colleagues that I could tell straight away by the tone of their voice that they were dealing with something that was clearly way above what they would normally deal with, even on 999 calls. The attack was brutal and bungled, taking place in broad daylight. Both killers howled throughout. Two men hiding their faces in balaclavas showed up at a property on Ninian Road in Cardiff and forced their way inside. It was just after half past one on the afternoon of Sunday, April 11th, 2010. 17-year-old Amir Siddiqui had been the one to answer the door. He assumed it was his Quran teacher, but Amir was taken aback by two masked men that stood before him. The two strangers were brandishing knives. In mere moments, they were using their weapons repeatedly trying to stab the teenager. Amir tried to get away, managing to struggle as far as the dining room where he collapsed. However, the intruders were not finished. They followed him and continued with the assault, thrusting their blades towards the teenager's body. Amir's parents, Sheikh Iqbal and Parveen Ahmed, were home at the time, They tried desperately to protect their son. Amir's mother, Parveen, dove on top of one of the masked men as the teenager's father attempted to pull them the other way. The attackers slashed at them both before fleeing the scene. Despite her own injuries, Parveen ran out after them. She had picked up the phone and dialed 999 telling the operator... Two men came with knives and masks on. They've stabbed my son, stabbed my husband. My son is unconscious. 
Parveen screamed as her husband took the phone. He pleaded, Please can you send an ambulance? Please, please send one. As Parveen walked out onto the street, she cried, Help, help, my son is dying. A passerby heard the commotion, and Ian Nurse ran towards the cries for help to find out what was happening. The gate was closed at the Edwardian end of Terrace property, but as he heard a woman's desperate screams, Nurse walked towards the front door. Parveen, who was now back inside the property, came out to meet him and tried to explain what had happened. Ian Nurse could not understand much of what was said as Amir's mother was distraught, but the passerby clearly heard the word stab. Ian Nurse asked Parveen if the people who had carried out the attack were still inside, and she told him they were not. In the hallway, Nurse could see a young man lying across the front of the doorway. He was motionless. Nurse lifted Amir's wrist to check for a pulse, but felt nothing. He moved his face close to the teenager's mouth to see if he could feel him breathing, and as Nurse watched for the rise and fall of Amir's chest, he saw no signs of life. Amir Siddiqui's eyes were open in a fixed stare, and blood was beginning to pull beneath him. Sergeant Ki Wong and a colleague arrived at the house within minutes. As Sergeant Wong turned Amir over, he saw three distinct wounds beneath the teenager's blood-soaked T-shirt. Later describing what he saw, Sergeant Wong said, I got the first aid kit and opened up as many bandages as I could, put them over the wounds and put him back on his back hoping it would apply pressure as we started to apply compressions to his chest. The sergeant continued to administer CPR until the paramedics arrived. Ambulance driver Michael Adams, emergency technician Linda Stevens and a trainee paramedic rushed to the scene. By the time they arrived, officers from the armed response unit were already outside. Linda Stevens set up the defibrillator and attached four pads to Amir's chest. The monitor only showed a flat line, indicating that the young man's heart had stopped. Amir was wrapped in a blanket and placed in a carry chair to transport him to the ambulance outside. University Hospital of Wales was just a few minutes away and resuscitative efforts continued en route. A breathing tube was inserted, and emergency surgery was carried out to open the sack around the teenager's heart. Sadly, despite the paramedics' best efforts, there was nothing that could be done. Namir Siddiqui passed away. It appeared as though his heart was empty, as a result of catastrophic blood loss. Amir was pronounced dead shortly after arriving at the hospital. His mother and father, Sheikh Iqbal and Parveen, were also taken to University Hospital of Wales, where staff tended to their injuries. Sheikh Iqbal Ahmed suffered two stab wounds to his left shoulder, two wounds to his abdomen, and a cut on his head. Harveen Ahmed suffered superficial knife wounds to her chest and upper abdomen. Their son had unfortunately been the one to answer the door to the two unknown men, and he bore the brunt of the fatal attack. The house was cordoned off by the police to preserve the scene. A post-mortem examination was carried out by Dr. Stephen Leadbeater. Amir Siddiqui had sustained a total of four stab wounds. 
Three had been inflicted to his upper back as he tried in vain to run from the intruders. The fourth wound was on his wrist, likely inflicted as Amir tried to shield himself from the knives. The fatal wounds had perforated his lung, left bronchus and aorta, causing instant and severe bleeding that led to his death. In fact, there had been so much blood at the scene that it was still wet the following day. A scene of crime officers processed the evidence. A small imprint from some footwear was found in a pool of blood at the entrance to the house. An impression of the mark was taken to be compared to the shoes of any future suspects. Amir Siddiqui had studied at Cardiff High School before he transferred to Cardiff Academy. His parents valued a good education and they did everything they could to pay the £9,000 a year it cost to keep their son in the private school where they felt he would flourish. After his A-levels, Amir had planned to study law at Cardiff University where he had already been offered a placement. Classmates mourned the sudden loss of such a promising young man, with one saying, everyone got along with him. He literally wouldn't hurt a fly. He was just so lovely. Amir was special in, in so many different ways. He was, uh, he was an exceptional student academically, but uh, more than that, he really was someone who lit up the lives of the people here at Cardiff Academy. And I can't think of any other word. We all loved him. Um, that, combined with the fact that this is such a small college, uh, made a tremendous impact on us when, uh, when he was murdered. While they recovered in hospital... Amir's parents released a statement that gave insight into the type of person their son was. Describing her son, Amir's mother said, He was like his dad. He was a gentleman. Kind and sensitive and really funny. He was a unique character, always ready to help anybody at any time. He was devoted to his family and friends. Amir was the youngest child in the family. His three older sisters, Nashat, Umbarine and Miriam, who had been visiting the family home and left only moments before the attack, released a joint statement to the press in the days following Amir's murder. I want to start with praising God Almighty for his mercy and compassion. My parents, sisters and I, with our wider family and friends, are devastated by the departure of our beloved army. He was a dearly loved and loving brother, son and friend to many. Even in our own family, Armour was a friend, something, preci something precious that we will miss. To others, he was interested in their views, fascinated with sport and planning to become a lawyer. In all his many interests, he was committed listened to advice, and was anxious to learn. God commands that we are good to our parents. Amr always wanted to be with his family. He asked his mother often if she was happy with him and how he could please her, and he was always, always very helpful and loving towards his father. Amr was a gen genuine person, a sincere person. We have found enormous strength in God's command to be patient, to him we belong and to him we shall return. We thank God for his gift to us of Amir. As individuals, this is a personal tragedy which we are all accepting with courage and our faith in God that he will be with us in our patience and this is also what Amir would want. Amir would also want everybody to remain calm. We are worried in our own grief that the people who have committed this crime may do this again. We want to support the police with their inquiries and this investigation. We request that if anybody has any information that they pass this to the police. 
please help so that these perpetrators are found before they hurt some other family. The investigation into Amir Siddiqui's death was moving fast. The police obtained descriptions of the suspects almost immediately. The assailants were seen running towards Shirley Road. Police say they're looking for two Asian men in their 20s who were wearing balaclavas when they forced their way into the house. Amir's parents were also injured in the incident, but the flowers are for a teenager's life cruelly ended. Police say they can find no link between the victim and the two alleged Asian attackers. One of the suspects was viewed as average height with a stocky build and dark hair. He had been wearing dark clothing. The other was slimmer, around 5 feet 11 inches tall and wearing a white jacket with a grey stripe on the sleeves. Over 60 officers from South Wales Police were brought in to assist with the inquiry. Detective Chief Superintendent Stuart McKenzie addressed the media at a press briefing and said, We have no motive at this stage. There was a hypothesis Amir was mistakenly identified, but that is one possibility. Amir was an upstanding member of totally clean character. A murder investigation has been launched, uh, commenced obviously on Sunday, and extensive inquiries are ongoing in relation to Amir's death. Uh, I would like to make an appeal, uh, and that appeal is, we are still trying to track down two men who were seen, seen leaving the area of Ninian Road shortly after the incident, heading towards Shirley Road. I'm obviously anxious to track down these two individuals, and we'll make an appeal for anybody that has information uh, for the community to come forward and assist us in tracking them down. Thank you. If I now hand over, back over to uh, Mr Toomey. Before I, uh, I hand over the questions, obviously what I'd like to say on behalf of, uh, of, of Cardiff, as the Divisional Commander, firstly, we've got a tremendous relationship with the, uh, the community of Cardiff and indeed all the communities. I'm humbled by the respect that the communities pay us and obviously that uh, respect is returned. I've already met with my colleagues, with numerous community leaders, and we've already received an abundance of information. Obviously, as Mr McKenzie has already said, we would appeal for more information. My appeal would be particularly towards the younger community who perhaps don't understand what's actually happening here. It's a dreadful incident and we need to work together with the community and we need the younger community to work together with us. When the descriptions of Amir Siddiqui's killers were publicised in the South Wales Echo, a local shopkeeper, Zaid Akbar, contacted the police and told them that two men matching that same description had come into his shop on the morning of the murders. The pair had purchased gloves and tape. CCTV footage was obtained of the sale, and as a result the men were identified shortly after. It was just days after Amir was murdered when officers located the suspects, Ben Hope and Jason Richards, both in their mid-thirties. PC Darren Millard arrested Hope at his home and put the suspect into the back of a patrol car. En route to the station, Hope began crying and said, I'm not going to protect anyone. Jason did the murder. Then Hope told the investigators that the car used before and after the killing was a silver Volvo, parked by Adams Down Bridge. Hope was interviewed by DC Deborah Zirachi. He said that he was not prepared to take the rap for something he had not done, and said that Jason Richards had told him, quote, I might have killed someone. Richards was also arrested and replied no comment to most of the questions posed to him. Jason Richards was born on June 1st, 1974. His first offence of theft was recorded when he was just 13. 
Over the next 12 months, Richards was caught committing a number of car thefts and burglaries and was sentenced to four months in a juvenile detention centre. He was also a habitual drug user from the age of 16. What started as recreational cannabis use on the outside had developed into a heroin addiction inside prison. In 1996, Richards punched a man on Caroline Street in Cardiff, causing the victim to fall and fracture his skull. Richards received a 27-month sentence for the assault. The next year he was convicted of robbery, GBH and extortion. Jason Richards was handed a four-year sentence and following his release in 2001, he was caught shoplifting. After being detained by a security guard, Richards tried to gouge the man's eyes out, leaving him with significant facial bruising. Richards was then ordered to enter a drug treatment program. His other charges included intimidation, possession of a weapon, a fray, and assault causing actual bodily harm. Richards had also been caught selling drugs. Furthermore, at one point, Richards suffered a brain injury after being attacked by someone armed with a hammer. The assault impacted his speech, and a barrister later representing Richards would claim that his client also struggled with learning difficulties. Jason Richards had met his future accomplice Ben Hope in Cardiff Prison. Ben Hope was born on July 5th, 1973. Like his new friend, Hope also had a colourful legal history. In the early 1990s, he was convicted numerous times of theft, illegally breaking into homes and stealing cars. In 1994, Hope had been with a group of people when a fight broke out. During the altercation, one of the gang was fatally stabbed, and Hope was charged and tried for murder. At the trial, he denied being present when the stabbing took place. The judge would subsequently instruct the jury to find Hope not guilty. This was not the wake-up call some would expect, planting Hope firmly on the right track. Instead, in 1997, he was convicted of robbery and kidnap. Hope and another man had attacked a couple who coincidentally crossed their path. Hope and his accomplice severely beat the man and woman before stealing a wallet and ordering one of the victims to hand over their car keys. After demanding the pin to a bank card, they fled in the victim's car, but Hope crashed the vehicle into a wall before the two men ran off. It was not long until they were tracked down and prosecuted. After bonding in prison, Ben Hope and Jason Richards both attended Cardiff's Community Addiction Unit. However, they soon began selling drugs to fund their habit in the period leading up to Amir Siddiqui's murder. Following the suspect's arrests, a memorial football match was held in Heath Park across from Amir's home. Hundreds of mourners gathered to remember a life cut tragically short. The idea had come from Amir's friends, who had set up a Facebook group in the teenager's memory. Speaking about Amir, Seed Kidwai told the South Wales Echo, he loved playing football so much, he'd have enjoyed and cherished something like this. The whole community is down. He'd have been playing football with Amir just days earlier. Another of Amir's friends, Omar Sheikh, told the paper, he was the type of person something like this couldn't happen to. It must be mistaken identity. (laughs) 
Cardiff's Divisional Commander Chief Superintendent Bob Tooby, who was working in the incident room, made a further appeal to the public, seeking more information from witnesses, no matter how insignificant it might seem. Thanking locals, Chief Superintendent Tooby said, A football match held yesterday evening in honour of Amir was extremely well attended, which shows how loved, respected and missed he is by family, friends and the wider community. My sincere thanks to all those who have already spoken to officers. The support we are having from the community is fantastic and is very much appreciated. A third arrest was made the following day. The 36-year-old from Richmond Road was arrested on suspicion of murder. On April 20th, 2010, Ben Hope and Jason Richards appeared at Cardiff Magistrates Court to face the charges of murder and attempted murder. The latter related to Amir's parents who had been seriously injured in the attack. Neither of the men entered a plea at this stage. The third man who was arrested was not charged and had been released from custody. The police began compiling CCTV footage of the suspects and the car that was believed to have been used in the killing, a silver Volvo XC90. The Volvo had been stolen from the Newport area of Wales a year prior. On the morning of the murder, the man who sold the car, salesman Stephen Haycock, had seen the vehicle in the area near Amir's home. Haycock said, I instantly knew it and saw two people in it, both of them male and dark-skinned, certainly not the white middle-aged couple I had sold it to but it still had their number plate A11MON on it, and I wondered why. Most people go on taking their plate with them if they sell the vehicle. It was one of half a dozen Volvos we sold which had been registered to the armed forces and possibly used abroad. I remembered the couple who bought this one had a cherished transfer of their personalised number plate onto it. The vehicle had been abandoned in the Adamsdown area. Some witnesses had reported seeing a car matching that description being driven away from the scene at speed. The police identified a fingerprint on the driver's side seatbelt, which came back as a match to Jason Richards. Inside a mobile phone box discarded in the vehicle, Investigators found documents marked with fingerprints belonging to Ben Hope. Forensic officers examined the car for traces of blood and discovered some in the footwells and on the driver's side door. Analysis of the blood showed that it had come from Amir Siddiqui. As the evidence was collected... Amir's heartbroken family released a statement thanking the community for their support and for the cards and flowers that had been left outside their home. They asked that any future donations be made to WaterAid, a charity that Amir supported. On May 7th, hundreds of mourners gathered for a funeral service at the Jumia Mesjid Balal Mosque on Seven Road in Cardiff. The road surrounding the mosque had to be closed to allow for the sheer volume of people in attendance. Many prayed outside because there was no room inside to accommodate them. Several members of the local police force attended the funeral, following which Chief Superintendent Bob Tooby said, The service was very moving and shows how communities can come together at a time of grief. It would be impossible to get more people in the mosque than were there. The amount of people out on the street, in the corridors of the mosque and outside, was a mark of respect for Amir. 
it's lovely to see the different communities coming together. The community is one, and that's a rare thing as far as Cardiff is concerned, compared to the rest of the UK. Amir Siddiqui was laid to rest in Ely's Western Cemetery. In late July 2010, Ben Hope and Jason Richards pleaded not guilty to the charges of murder and attempted murder in a hearing held at Merthyr Tydfil Crown Court. The following month, the South Wales Police appealed to the public for help in tracing another suspect in the murder inquiry, 32-year-old Mohammed Ali Edge. Edge was wanted on suspicion of conspiracy to commit murder. Providing details of the suspect, a statement from the South Wales Police read, Mohammed Ali Edge is described as black, of Middle Eastern heritage, 5 feet 10 inches tall, slim with black shaved or cropped hair, brown eyes and a Welsh accent. He is known to have contacts across Cardiff, in Pontypridd and Barry. The public are advised not to approach him directly, but to call police immediately if they have any information regarding his whereabouts. The community is once again thanked for its support and cooperation during this ongoing investigation. Detective Superintendent Stuart McKenzie voiced his belief that Mohammed Ali Edge was involved in the circumstances leading to Amir Sadiqi's death and that it was a case of mistaken identity. As you're aware, two men have been charged with the, uh, the tragic murder of Amir Sadiqi. Uh, legal proceedings are ongoing, uh, so I'm limited in what I can say today. But what I can say is that we're actively looking to arrest an individual by the name of Mohammed Ali Edge. Uh, we believe that he was involved in the circumstances leading to the death of Amir and he's therefore wanted uh, for conspiracy to commit murder. Uh, South Wales Police uh, firmly believe that this is a case of mistaken identity. As I have said previously, uh, Amir was a lovely, talented young man with a bright future ahead of him. He comes from a lo loving family and there is nothing to suggest that he or his parents were the intended victims. Amir's family are here today, as you can see, and they continue to be supported by families and officers from South Wales Police. Uh, I wish to reassure the community that extensive inquiries are ongoing to trace and locate Mohammed Ali Edge. Uh, in fact, a number of addresses have been visited this morning in the Cardiff area. My message to Mohammed Ali Edge is quite simple. Please come and speak to us, because we will track you down sooner or later. As the police search for Mohammed Ali Edge, Amir Siddiqui's family asked the public for help in bringing his killers to justice. We've had tremendous support from our friends, all the members of the Cardiff community, and above all from the police, who have worked tirelessly over these months. We thank them all for their kindness, hard work and dedication. May God bless them. We remain concerned that everyone involved in this crime must be caught and brought to justice. To that end, a lot of work has already been done and much has yet to be done. An important element of the ongoing in investigation is the assistance which can be provided by our community to the police. It will be of tremendous value if we can help trace the suspect, Mohammed Ali Edge, who is required by the police for their investigation. If you have any piece of information about him, please pass it on to the police without delay. For the sake of justice and to maintain peace and security in our society, the perpetrators involved in this crime must be brought to justice as soon as possible. As the year came to a close, the police broadcast an appeal on Crime Watch. 
They announced a £10,000 reward for information leading to the arrest of Muhammad Ali Edge. At the beginning of 2011, officers searched for evidence relating to the murder inquiry on land close to the railway line on Windsor Road and on the Taft Trail. They unearthed a blood-stained drunk punk branded hooded top and a pair of shoes. The blood on the clothing was analysed and DNA matched Amir Siddiqui. A further DNA profile found on the hooded top corresponded with Jason Richards. The shoes also appeared to be similar to the footwear Richards was seen wearing on the morning of the murder. A small impression left in blood at Amir Siddiqui's front door was likely to have been made by one of the shoes found. As the first anniversary of Amir Siddiqui's murder came and went, the police were still trying to locate Muhammad Ali Edge. Reports suggested that Edge had disguised himself with a wig and had fled the country following the killing. Amir's family spoke of their loss after a year without him. They said, From the day he was born, Amir was loved but in return he was the most loving person we knew. He lifted everyone's spirit, and it was a great joy and honour to know him. His infectious enthusiasm for life was evident from the start, and he was always an optimist. We miss his affection, laughter and his rare ability to always see the good in everyone. He was an honest and trustworthy person who passionately cared about people and the environment. His nature was incredibly gentle, and this makes what happened all the more shocking for us. His loss has devastated us all, and he will never be replaced. As a family, we are grateful to God for giving us the strength to carry on. Our extended family and friends have given us support and love for which we are eternally grateful. We are amazed and humbled by the hard work and dedication South Wales Police have put into Amir's murder inquiry. We have also had kindness from all parts of Cardiff society, and this reflects how united the community has become in light of this tragedy. Without a doubt, it was an honour and privilege to know him. We seek comfort in the fact that we believe we come from God, and to him we shall return. The family were patiently waiting for justice, and after a year and a half, the trial finally began. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand. And now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to Centair.com and using promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at Centair.com. The trial opened in late September 2011, 17 months after Amir Siddiqui took his final breath. Prosecutor Patrick Harrington QC told the jury that the attack had come out of nowhere and was carried out by Ben Hope and Jason Richards in retaliation for an unpaid debt. The debt was not owed by Amir or his family, but by a man who lived in a house nearby. The prosecutor addressed the court and said, The killers had been recruited contracted to carry out a lethal attack on another man, but with staggering incompetence and tragically for Amir, went to a completely different address. The killers had carried out a recce earlier, but when they returned by a different route, they became confused, perhaps because of drugs they had taken and went to the wrong house. Patrick Harrington QC explained that Mohammed Ali Edge had hired Hope and Richards to carry out an attack on Mohammed Tanhai, who lived on the street behind Amir and his parents. Following the stabbing, the killers had gone to spend the £1,000 they had each been paid, unaware they had killed the wrong person. The defendants were admitting their role in the killing, as the prosecutor said, they both agree on one thing, that the killer is sitting in the dock, but each is pointing the finger of blame at the other. Frustratingly, after a few days, the trial was abandoned and jurors were discharged. The cause is not a matter of public record. Another jury was sworn in for the trial to restart in the second week of October. As the first witnesses were due to testify, the trial was halted for a second time when Mohammed Ali Edge was finally arrested. He had been hiding out in India. Edge was captured in Hyderabad after his brother had been caught with forged identification. The pair were found in possession of Indian passports, driving licenses and other forms of identification. A spokesperson from the South Wales Police confirmed the arrest and offered a statement. The 33-year-old from the Riverside area of Cardiff was arrested in India on suspicion of conspiracy to commit murder and for being in possession of false documentation. Amir's family, who continue to be supported by a family liaison officer, has been informed. South Wales Police is liaising with Indian authorities in relation to the extradition processes. The judge had told the jury that there would be no sitting while the authorities took stock of the case, but the trial quickly resumed.
The court was shown videotaped statements made by Amir Siddiqui's parents the day after his murder. His mother, Parveen Ahmed, testified that Amir had been studying in his bedroom of the home they had lived in for 18 years, when he came out to see why his father was singing to himself on the landing. The doorbell rang and Parveen thought she could see Amir's Quran teacher through the glass, putting his scarf over his shoulders. She called out and told Amir the teacher was at the door, and Amir went to answer it. Immediately, two men forced their way inside the home, brandishing blades and making loud noises. Describing how she at first believed it was a practical joke, Parveen Ahmed said, I thought they would stop and say to my son, Ha ha, scared you. I was so stupid. I thought the daggers were toys, but they were real. It was I who said the imam was at the door and Amir opened it. I could never have imagined what was out there. When I realised it was no act, I thought, no, 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 this is real. They were hurting my son, and I screamed, what are you doing? Leave him alone. I pulled on the jacket of one bending over Amir, but he stood up shouting, ah, again, and slashed at me. At the mosque, Parveen had pleaded to see her son, but the men who had washed Amir's body had told her just to look at his face. Parveen Ahmed spoke of her loss and described how she wished the men had just taken all of their money and left Amir alone. She said, He was intelligent, obedient, kind, fun-loving, humorous and caring. I don't know anybody else who was like him. He wanted to study law at Cardiff University and could have been a brilliant lawyer or a brilliant journalist or could have taken the civil service exams like his father. He would tease me about not knowing stars and models. He knew about music, politics, religion, history, sport, and not just one sport but all of them. He was so precious to me, born after 17 years of marriage. I love all my children, but because I had three daughters, I always wanted a son and loved him so much. Every day he would ask me if I was happy. I wish I had half the brain my Amir had, and then I would not have told him his teacher was outside. Sheikh Iqbal Ahmed's statement was also played for the court. He said that his entire purpose in life had left him after his son's murder and it had completely reshaped their lives. Amir's father spoke about trying to stop the attackers as they stabbed his son. He said, I held his hand with the knife in it and pushed my head against his chest, but he was too strong for me. They started howling and stabbing indiscriminately as soon as the door was opened. Amir was obviously hurt, but he tried to get to the dining room. He was still on his feet when I saw the other man push the knife into his back as he was falling. After that, he never recovered. As they ran out, I went to him and felt for a pulse. But there was none. Witnesses would testify that they had seen two people matching the description of the defendants, running from the house in the moments after the stabbing. They had also heard Parveen Ahmed's screams. A passenger in a car being driven past the scene told the court that the window of the vehicle was open because it was a warm day. As the car slowed approaching a roundabout, the passenger heard a high-pitched scream. He looked towards the house where the sound had originated and saw two people with their hands in the air. 
they were either pulling something up or down over their heads. He then saw the men running up Shirley Road. Another witness, Mandy Martin, was out for a run on the morning of the murder. She had headphones on as she ran laps around Roth Park Lake, but she saw two men running from the house and pulling hoods over their heads as they fled. The witness said, I thought they were burglars who had been disturbed, but when I drove back down the street it was chaotic, with police already there and more arriving, so I stopped to tell them what I'd seen. Further witnesses testified about the purchases Ben Hope and Jason Richards had made before and after Amir's murder. Cheryl Matthews worked in the little store in Cate's. She recalled two men buying heavy-duty work gloves. Two hours after the murder, CCTV footage showed someone, allegedly Ben Hope, purchasing trainers at a footlocker store in Cardiff. Andrew Webb, the Queen Street store manager, recalled the transaction and said, He bought a pair of Nike Air Max Skyline trainers, a pair of socks and a Nike wallet. I remember the transaction because he had a white envelope which was full of money. It looked like there was a lot of £20 notes, around 1000 in all. It's not very often I've seen something like that. It's very rare. The footlocker bag was later found covering the bloody hooded top and the shoes behind Jason Richards' home, stained with Amir Siddiqui's blood. Adi Omar was working at an electronics store just before closing time, when a dubious-looking customer walked in and asked for the best laptop they sold. The man was apparently in a rush. He told the assistant in PC World that there was a taxi waiting for him outside. After deciding he could not afford a laptop that sold for £1,000, the man bought a £700 laptop with cash. The person in question was later identified as Ben Hope, and testimony from Derek Fisher alleged that Hope had sold him the laptop two days after the killing. Mohammed Tanhai was the intended target of the attack. The father of six testified that he had put his house up for sale in 2006 after it became too painful to live there following a road accident in which his 13-year-old son was killed three years earlier. The family bought a house on Shirley Road, but they had trouble selling their first home until Mohammed Ali Edge offered to buy the property for £265,000. Edge made cash payments totalling £50,000 as a deposit, but Tanhai asked Edge to pay the remainder through a solicitor. When Edge refused, he demanded the deposit back, but Mohammed Tanhai did not have it. Soon, Edge's associates began knocking at Tanhai's front door and intimidating him. Mohammed Tanhai testified, Every four, five or six weeks there would be a knock. I would answer it and they would demand the money. In November 2009, Mohammed Ali Edge and another man called at the house and as Mohammed Tanhai opened the door, he was struck by Edge. Describing the attack, Tanhai said, It was a hard blow. I fell, and as I tried to get up, the other man used pepper spray in my face. Then they were hitting me. It lasted about a minute, and nothing was said. Mohammed Tanhai needed hospital treatment, but discharged himself shortly after as he feared for his family's safety. Tanhai lived on the street behind Amir Siddiqui's home. The prosecution alleged that the defendants had gone to the wrong house after being hired to attack the man who owed Mohammed Ali Edge money. 
Countless hours of CCTV footage had been reviewed during the investigation, sourced from hundreds of cameras all over the Welsh capital. Video evidence played to the jury formed a timeline of events leading up to the killing. Detective Sergeant Alan Jones detailed the footage for the court. Beginning on April 4th, camera captured the stolen Volvo being driven around Cardiff before heading to North Road. The driver was then seen entering Jason Richards' home. The images captured showed Richards walking around wearing a blue and white drunk punk branded top. The same item of clothing was found soaked in Amir Siddiqui's blood and recovered behind the property where Jason Richards lived. CCTV footage pictured Ben Hope and Jason Richards travelling from Richards' home to Roth Park, where they found Mohammed Tanhai's property before later coming back using a different route and ending up at the wrong address on Ninian Road. After months of testimony, Agonisingly for all those involved, only days before Christmas 2011, the second jury were discharged. The trial was due to be moved to Swansea for what Mr Justice Evans called a multitude of reasons, the precise detail of which has never been disclosed. It took months and hundreds of thousands of pounds for the case to be moved, in spite of Amir's family pleading to the Crown Prosecution Service in July 2012, asking that the case be heard in Cardiff, where the crime had occurred. The time that had passed, and the repeated roadblocks left the family wondering if justice would ever be served. Amir Siddiqui simply answered his front door in this smart Cardiff suburb to find two hitmen hired to kill. He was the victim, a court heard today, of a colossal mistake of two heroin-fueled contract killers who'd gone to the wrong house. The pair burst into the Siddiqui's house making gruesome howling noises. The weapons used in the killing have never been found. Both defendants deny the murder of Amir Siddiqui and the attempted murder of his parents. This is the end of episode 47. To hear the next instalment on the death of Amir Siddiqui, please tune in next week. Thank you for listening. A special thanks to our new Patreon producer, Kristin Mueller, and everyone who supports us on Patreon. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.